Hello and welcome to episode four of the Cabbage Podcast, produced by Church at Bowling Green in Kentucky, USA. I'm Kenan Ballou. And I'm Lee Folks. And uh, as we've mentioned before, this season of our podcast, we're spending time each week meditating on the Psalms, um, different Psalm each week where we're spending some time discussing and, and thinking about our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. So we're going to, let's, let's start off with a prayer and then we will jump into Psalm 40 this week. God, we ask you to bless our time together today. We ask you to bless all of those who are, are listening to this, that they will be um, encouraged and strengthened um, through our, our conversation. I pray that you speak through, um, through your word to us, that you will speak through Kenan and through me that we will um, say things that are true to to uh, help us to understand you better. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the words that are preserved for us that we can um, see you more clearly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this week we're doing Psalm 40. Um, and, you know, I guess, Kenan, I, I just wanted to start off. There are several of the Psalms talk about a pit. Um, and I, I just spent some time thinking about pits. What, what are your thoughts about, about a pit? Was David ever literally in a pit like Joseph? Was there a, a story about that? I don't think of, I don't think so. That'd be good if there were, but I don't think there would, there is. Well, I've always kind of felt it as a, an emotional pit. Uh, one of the translations that I, that I read, uh, calls it the pit of despair, mm -hmm. Which uh, wasn't that what they called the torture room in the Princess Bride? Yes, oh no! Now this is going to become a Princess Bride podcast. Um, yes, uh, the yeah, the pit of despair. Um, you know, I was I was did a little a little background thinking just about pits, and there's not a lot of nuance in it. Um, you know, you think of a pit as being something that is um, either natural or man-made, but um, pits were, I think, sometimes used to trap animals or um, uh, wells, I think, sometimes were considered to be pits, but then they would um, put people in them and in, in a dungeon. But just thinking, uh, <laughs> the thing I think of with this is the, the visual that kept coming to my mind was um, in the Silence of the Lambs, there's the woman who was in a pit and she kept trying to lure the dog to come down there. I don't recommend, you don't like that kind of stuff, don't watch it. But um just thinking about the hopelessness of being in this pit that you can't get out, that you are completely helpless and completely stuck in this place. And, and there's no, no way to get out unless somebody comes to help you. I'm struck with how well the metaphor works to everyone. I mean, I feel like anyone who reads that will immediately understand what it means to be stuck. You can't get out. There's uh, no way to climb. There's no food or sustenance. That's such a powerful and obvious metaphor for when you're, without hope. Yeah. And, and I thought about some, I thought about some of the things that happened, you know, whether it's just obviously uh, things going on in the world or things going on, um, you know, around us that cause us to feel, feel hopeless. Sometimes I thought about things that, that we do that cause problems for us, sins in our lives that cause us to be um, in a pit. I know what sins that other people commit um, things that other people do to us or or to other people that cause us problems. You know, I work with kids a lot of times who have been abused and in different ways. And, and those kids may not have done anything, but they are certainly in a pit and feel hopeless because of the things other people have done to them. Um, and then obviously health, health issues, health concerns, things that are totally out of our control make us feel 
in this pit of despair. Um, What's the difference, as you see it, between suffering and spare? Well, I guess those are two different things. Uh, Is there a difference? I think the word I was thinking of, the difference between pain and suffering. Is there a difference? I, you know what? There, I'm sure there is. I, I, I'm, I don't feel qualified to talk about that necessarily. I mean, I, I guess maybe suffering does have more of the, the hopelessness. Um, I don't know. That, that would have been a good question for our pre- Priya. <laughs> That's my job to stump the expert here. So, I guess I do. It seems like suffering is something that you can't really prevent. You can limit, and there may be some ways of taking some suffering away, but everyone's going to suffer at some level. And I find it interesting that it's easy to compare our suffering with someone else, but in some way, everyone's suffering is the same. And it, it, like the causes of the suffering for you may be much worse, you know, that the pains you have may not be as bad as a, another person. And yet, you could both be suffering the same amount. I and mean, you, you probably known people that have something that when you see that, you're like, that's the only problem you have. And yet they're deeply suffering because of that. Whereas someone else might have much worse physical pain, but isn't suffering as much. So suffering seems to be somehow different than the actual cause of of it. I don't, I don't know if there's a cause of suffering that you can connect to a, a physical or emotional pain, but suffering is certainly something we experience each in our own way. And it's not always directly tied with the severity of the cause, seems to me. Yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably, you know, now that we're saying that, it seems like we, um, it seems like David Baxter had a sermon about this at one point where he was talking about the difference between pain and suffering. And, and, um, between my, my recollection of that and um, my quick Google search I just did while you were talking, um, I think one of the things, you know, pain is, is a lot of times considered to be a the physical sensation and suffering is more of our um, interpretation of that and our how that impacts us. Um, but I, I don't know. That would, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. Um, well, one thing in the past few years, I've tried personally to in a lot of ways to be less selfish and, and less self-centered when I see someone else dealing with something that to me seems like not a big deal. I think the, the, the younger me would have found it easy to look down on the person and say, oh, well, that why are you suffering? That's no big deal. But I mean, that's what I was saying a few minutes ago, that I think suffering can be experienced disconnected from the severity, however you want to measure that, of the physical pain. I mean, there's just, you probably know some people that are suffering with physical pain that's unbelievable and yet they seem to be less having less suffering than other people and to to hold up people against each other or try to judge them i think is, is not a good approach because suffering is pretty universal i guess the question i'd have is how do we suffer less is it possible to even suffer less i mean you look at jesus i i don't think any i don't think you can make a strong argument that he wasn't suffering in the garden right. or on the cross or any of those other places absolutely and yet I don't believe he was despairing. Yeah. You know, actually that, that kind of leads to um, one of my, one of my takeaways from this is really about the, what the pit is that David is talking about here, because, you know, you read it. I think I commented on this last week, just on our first pass through this, but um, you know, the first thing he, he says, the beginning of this, I waited patiently for the Lord. Or I waited intently. It was one of the other, Translations of that, and he inclined to me, heard my cry, brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. So there is this being removed from the pit, but then you find out later, verse um, 13, he's still asking God to deliver him. He's still asking God to deliver him from his foes. And so maybe your your question really is kind of to the point here, 
is that is is the pit that he's talking about his his circumstances that he finds himself in or is the pit the the suffering the fear the the hopelessness that he was feeling well, i guess we can skip on in our outline of <laughs> yeah. the, uh, what we're talking here but I, I guess i have to lay my cards on the table and i i see this very clearly as the, the pit is his emotional suffering right. and he's praising god for bringing him out of the emotional suffering even though god didn't remove the uh, remove the circumstances and um I, I think that's what the i mean this is my opinion but that's what the section of uh six to eight is really talking about about uh, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings that you don't require burnt offerings, but skipping down, it's like take joy in doing your will, my God, for the instructions are written on your heart, and that seems to be the David's recipe, if you want to call it that, or his his solution for getting out of the pit was not trying to do some magic spell with bones or sacrifices to get God to change things, but to change his heart, and somehow that delivered him from the emotional pit, even though. It didn't change the exterior exterior circumstances, right? And and so, you know, going um, when I think, and again, as a, a counselor and and the kind of in my in my life on a day to day basis, I think a lot about you know how people respond to the difficult situations in their lives. How you know people have are are angry about what's happened to them, or they are afraid of what might happen to them, or um, they're they're desperate trying to fix what happened to them, or or change their situation. Um, and then the other thing I thought about, which I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you know, I don't know if, if you're familiar with learned helplessness where, um, somebody's had things happen to them so much that they just don't even, when there is an escape, they don't even feel that they can get out because they just are so used to having pain and, and all that going on. And if we think about, um, how that, that works, that that really does create in us a sense of maybe that's the suffering is that feeling like you can't, it's never going to stop. Um, I had one of the things I, I, um, I don't know if you've, if you've read the book, good to great uh, by Jim Collins. Um, it's, it's, nope, it's a really good book about, about leadership and, and different things. But one of the things he talks about is it's called, he calls it the Stockdale paradox. And um I think it's James Stockdale was a, um, an admiral. He was shot down and he was in a Japanese uh, concentration camp and he was there with a bunch of other people. And he was actually, um, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but I think it was something along the lines that he was the longest person to be in captivity before he was released. Um, he was actually, I think um, Ross Perot's running mate in the uh, uh, presidential election several years ago. But um Anyway, so they they have done several interviews with with Stockdale, and he talks about how he lasted in this concentration camp, and he said that the people who didn't make it were the the people who were um, optimists. They kept saying, "Hey, maybe we'll get out by Thanksgiving. Maybe we'll get out by Christmas. Maybe we'll get out by New Year. Maybe we'll." And they kept thinking that there was going to be an immediate end to their suffering. But what he said he did, rather than just being overly optimistic, was just being um, I don't know if he called it realistic, but basically saying, "Look." I don't know how long I'm going to be here and this is going to be difficult, but it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, there's a lot of faith with that too. There's a lot of different directions to go with that. But to me, I was just thinking, you know, it's the attitude in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that circumstance that allowed him to have the, um, the hope. And I don't, I definitely don't want to say that he didn't suffer, um, because I'm, he, he, uh, 
tremendous physical pain. But in, in terms of this psalm, I think he was not in a pit of despair because he had hope that it was going to be okay, even though he didn't know when. And it wasn't dependent on the removal of the pain. It wasn't dependent on the physical circumstances. There's uh, I've read stories about the 20th century. The, uh, apparently the prisons in Romania were particularly bad during the communist times. And there's a particular prison that you can read stories about. They're just really bone chilling. Uh, and there were uh, several priests that were um, detained there. And there was one, and I can't really pronounce his name. I forgot his name and look at that. But he went in there and he didn't survive the prison, but he was so focused on Christ. That he actually brought people to Christ in this prison. And a lot of those people went on to like change the church in Romania after the, uh, they were released from prison. And he, the reports about him were that he just had such a joy and they would sing. They weren't really allowed to sing, but they would find times to do it. And he didn't survive that. He died in that prison. There was no end escape for him. And it was not a nice place to be. I mean, there's really harrowing stories about, I don't even want to go into this disgusting, worse, worse than you probably heard before. And yet in that time that he was in such a joy that he converted these people and they were so drawn to his joy in the circumstance. It's just, it's a comp- really inspiring story. And in that case, there was no, you know, there was no, oh, and then after he got out, everything got better. It didn't get better. Right. Um, so I, I want to, I want to, go back to that in a little bit because i think that goes to our point we wanted to talk about about um proclaiming glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation like it talks about in verse nine but um i want to go to what what is it that helps us to have to, to what is it that helps us to be removed from the pit even though our circumstances may not change um you know one of the things that i i was just really focusing on here is that that relationship with god that that david talks about here you know he says in verse four um, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud or those who lapse into falsehood. You know, looking looking to God to have hope rather than people who lie to you, people who promise you things, um, trusting God instead of um, other people. But then also, and as you alluded to in you know, verses six through eight, um, a relationship with God that is not a, and the word I used in my mind was, it's not transactional. It is not, I will, I will sacrifice things so God will give me good things. And if bad things happen to me, well, then I must have done something wrong or bad things are happening to me. Why is God punishing me? Um, that it is a, a relationship that is based on trust and not on that, that transaction of, of sacrifices. I, I almost, and I, I hope I'm not, uh, Say, I don't know, out of place here, but I almost wish the very end of Job wasn't there in which Job was restored to all of his riches and everything. Because the point is not, oh, well, just accept that God is who he is, then you'll get all your stuff back, because that's not what usually happens. Right. And I think that's the, that's in my opinion, the, this, the lesson of Job is when Job says, you know, I spoke once, but now I'll be quiet two times and I will shut up, basically. And that's the lesson I think this is my opinion that we need to take is, is changing what we're looking at instead of saying, Oh, well do X then get good stuff or do Y. And then this goes away, but to basically accept. And I don't know, what's your thought of the difference between accepting your circumstance and getting into the kind of learned helplessness kind of situation that you're talking about, because that doesn't seem healthy 
to just accept things where you can control it? Um, man, Kenan, you've got to send me your questions ahead of time. All right. So um, maybe we should have a practice discussion and then um, <laughs> the, the, so I, here's the, here's, here's what I think about and Let me go back to your story about Job and then I will, um, I'll try to answer that question or I'll talk enough that we'll run out of time. Um, those are my two options. Actually, I was listening to, I was mentioning earlier to you, um, Tim Keller is one of my favorite preachers and I've been listening to him a lot lately. And um, he did an hour and if anybody wants to go back and look at it, he, it, I think it was at the beginning, in the middle of March, they did a sit down thing about, um, about suffering and how we deal with suffering. And um, he talked a lot about Job. And one of the things he said that was really interesting about exactly what you were talking about there, Kenan, is if God had come down in the middle of that and said, hey, Job, if you will just hunker down and deal with this for Tim Keller didn't say hunker down. That was my word. If you will just bear with this for a few minutes, then you will get so much more restored. All your stuff will come back. I will give you more kids. I will give you more. Then then Job's motive is selfish. It's just if I can just endure this for a minute, then I will get something you know, back then I will get this reward. And then it's, it's purely selfish. Um, the, the beauty, and I, and I agree with you, the thing about Job that makes it so significant is that he had no clue that he was going to get something restored. And let's be clear, getting new kids doesn't replace the grief of having, of losing your old, your original children. I I, I want to clear that up, but um, you know, your the, the cattle, the, the, house the servants all you know all those things are not um he, if he had known he was going to have all that restored then it would have been easier because he would have just been but it, but it would have been selfish motives but instead he deals with that and he endures that continues to question god which is kind of the point of the podcast but not not really our thing here necessarily um but continues to trust and continues to believe that that god is is going to help me through this somehow so as far as the learn the learn helplessness, um, you know, I, I think one of the things with learn helplessness is that you start to feel like that that you deserve whatever's happening. You start to the 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 key thing about learn helplessness is when um, when there is an escape provided that you don't even take it because you don't feel like that it's that even that is safe. There is no there's no trust involved in learned helplessness. It is. It is all about just what is happening to me. And you really shut down in order to, um, I think, try to protect yourself. The difference here is that you, I don't know, I think part of the thing with suffering or with, with the pain and the trials and all the things that we experience is, how is this helping me to continue to rely on God? And how is this helping me to tell other people about God? Um, how can God be glorified through these circumstances? Um because it's not about it's not about me. It's not about me getting my stuff back or enduring this suffering so I can get something better. It is I am whether this gets better or not, whether my circumstances change or not. How can God be glorified through me and my life and what I'm doing right now? Which explain you know your guy from Romania is the same thing. Is his by the way the the man's name was Constantine Opersan and he wasn't a priest but. He was in prison in the same cell as a priest, and he made such a huge impression on the priest that, like, he's told his story since then, and actually kind of uh, gave the priest a run for his money in terms of he thought he was following God, but he wasn't. Yeah, wow. Anyway, I don't know. Does that does that make sense? Did I answer that question? I think so. Uh, um, one of the things that I had that I had thought about a lot, um, Kenan, and, and I don't know this 
this legitimately may need to be another, maybe a different season or a different series of a podcast because I could I could go on for a long time. But one of the things that I've learned a lot and, and have really enjoyed learning about a lot is attachment theory, um, how how children attach to their families and their parents and then how we relate to one another. And one of the things that's, that I think really is interesting about that is, you know, it, as as kids growing up, our, our, our kids have physical needs and they have emotional needs. And one of the things that is is really important um, is that we learn how to get all of those needs met. Um, you know, as our as infants, our kids cry whenever they have physical needs, like they're they're hot or cold or hungry or wet or tired. Um, but also emotional needs if they if they're hurt or they are um, you know upset, they they cry. And so our job as parents is to help meet those needs. We comfort them. We we change their diaper, we feed them, we do whatever. Um, but one of the things that happens, especially as kids get older, and I think this is, I don't know how much this is cultural or, or whatever, but I think certainly in our culture, um, parents do, a, most parents do a pretty good job of de- dealing with the physical needs. Um, but emotional needs are not as comfortable sometimes. Um, and so we, we don't always learn, we don't always teach our kids how to um, express their emotional needs and or Help them to meet those emotional needs. So the example I always give is about a kid who falls in the yard playing, um, you know, riding his bike or something. And um, you know, if we if we say, "Hey, that doesn't hurt. Go get a band aid and stop crying," well, then the kid learns, "Hey, it's it's not okay for me to cry. I can't talk to you when I am hurt because you're not going to help me." Um, and so then that's not really, that's not healthy because we don't know how to get those needs met and we don't always know how to deal with those emotional, emotional things. On the other hand, if a kid falls and we say, oh no, I am so sorry. I know that hurts. Let's go get a Band-Aid. And then we, we help comfort that child and, and we meet the physical need of the Band-Aid or the, you know, whatever painful liquid we're pouring in that cut. Um, or, um, but we're also doing the emotional thing. And that that tells that validates the reality that it really does hurt, um, and it it communicates I'm with you, and I will hurt with you, and I will be here with you, and even though it hurts, it's going to be okay. Which goes back to that Stockdale thing I was talking about earlier. Um, and I think one of the things that we've done is as we have learned about God or focused on God, we focus on the physical things. Um, what what is God? Um, going to do for me. I need my physical circumstances to change. And so we focus on um, how God is meeting our, our physical needs, but we don't really focus on the emotional pieces and the emotional needs. And um, when we are hurting, when we are suffering, then it's, it's, I think it's good for us to know that God can sit there and say, oh no, I know that hurts and I'm going to help you and I'm going to be here with you. Um, and, and I think we grow a lot in that way. And I think that helps us to learn um, with God that he is, you know, go back to Job. Job knew that God was okay with him asking questions and, and complaining about how difficult things were and how much he hated losing his family. And and that was just okay because he knew God could handle it. And he didn't question and say God doesn't exist, but he just expressed his, his hurt. Um, well, I'm going to push back a little bit there saying that the way I read Job is God lets Job talk. I don't get the impression that he was like encouraging Job per se, but then he basically tells Job, uh, you know, I, that's a particular case in which I don't feel like Job, uh, God answered Job at all. And that felt very much like a, a maybe a, 
a grown-up conversation with a grown-up child who comes to you and, I don't know, a tough love kind of thing. It's like your son that skins his knee and you know it's not that big of a deal. And instead of like going and saying, oh, are you okay? And giving a band-aid, you say like, get back up. So maybe that is the emotional need in the moment. But I, I, I feel like a lot of people cry out to God a lot and they don't hear anything. And I wonder, is he not meeting our need? Or is that what we need to not hear something immediately? Do we need more time to strengthen ourselves? I don't know what to to say there. Well, so, I, you know, again, if a kid, and we're, if, since I brought it up, you know, a kid skins his knee or hurts his, you know, breaks his leg, breaks his arm, whatever, you know, we we may not be able as the parent to physically fix that pain or take that pain away, but we we sit with that child through through the pain. Um, and, and I think, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. God didn't keep interrupting Job and say, hey, Job, don't worry, it's going to be okay and patting him on the head. Um, but but God was, yeah, I mean, I, I get your point. Um, but I think by, by allowing us to express that, because sometimes I think, here's, okay, let me go with this one. Sometimes I think we don't feel like that we can ever say that we are frustrated with God because that feels like a lack of faith. And uh, when okay. we are, um, it's really easy. I'm getting ahead of my notes a little bit, but you know, it's really easy for us to say, Oh, well, God answered this prayer when I get the job that I wanted or when I get the good diagnosis from the doctor that I had asked for. Um, it's really easy to talk about God in those ways, but when we are in the middle of a, of a crisis and, and, or, or doubts or, or, you know, whatever those things are that we feel like that are, are going wrong in our lives, that we are, we don't feel like we can talk about that because we feel like that's a lack of faith on our part. And that we're just supposed to be okay. And what I'm saying is it's, it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to hurt because it does hurt. And so um, that God, I guess my point is that God, not, it's not that he's patting us on the head saying, you know, don't worry. Um, but he is there with us to allow us to experience that pain. But he's not, he doesn't leave us alone. Um, I wonder how much of that is just how your own personal upbringing was. I, I don't really know what it was like in your family, but I feel like my parents definitely had an atmosphere we could talk about our emotions, good and bad. And I feel like both my parents were pretty open with that uh, at home. I think uh, what I like about this psalm, bring it back to David, is the the section uh, from verse on, nine and on talking about, I've told all your people in the assembly about your justice. And I think that's an important part of the purpose of a church. One of the many reasons for a, a corporate body and not just you know, all the people that ascribe to the same philosophy, but really a, a people who know each other and interact with each other and work together is the the sharing of the positives and the negatives. In this case, I think uh, David's talking about the, the positive, positives. And he talks about the the people um, in the assembly. I mean, I, I get the sense here and you read the different translations. This is not just like proclaiming it to the world. This is proclaiming to the people who are together, who are already assembled. Right. And so I think it's not a long stretch to apply that to the to the church. That this is this is something for people in the church to do is to tell each other about God and what He did to them. And I think you can certainly find other places where also the the the, the downers to share our our burdens with each other. But I mean that's a hugely important thing to tell each other what God has done. And I know other traditions have a much more stronger uh, custom of times of testimony. 
But I think that's something we should and we should do more of is tell each other what God has done in my life. Well, and and what ha- what God has done and what God is doing, even if what he is doing is just um, sustaining me through this difficult time. Um, because I, I think that's, I, I totally agree with everything, everything you said. We, we are not as, um, I, I do think we are to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. And we can be, maybe that goes back to your point, even though um, we can be the people that God wants us to be by, by helping to sit with someone through a difficult time. Um, I, I think that that is definitely something that we are, are called to do. Um, I had a really good thought and I just lost it. So sorry. We'll edit this and <laughs> insert it back in. Well, and that's the thing. So, so if we just give God, if we are only talking to people about the, the, the successes, then it, it kind of perpetuates that idea that it's a transactional thing. I'm a good person. Good things happen to me. Um, if you would just pray enough, believe enough, do enough, then God would, I don't think we intentionally do that, but we, we can unintentionally send the message that, um, that that's the way it works. And I think if we are um, better, and I don't mean, I don't think Sunday morning we get up and everybody tells everybody about everything because they don't feel comfortable. But if we are able to share those burdens that we are feeling with other people, then they can help us carry those burdens. And 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 then, you know, um, we see what God's doing in those people's lives. Well, reading just in this psalm, I don't get a sense of anything that David's saying, talking about uh, anything transactional. I, I know you're not, that's not what you're saying, but you know, he's not talking about, I was in the pit and then I figured out how to right. build, a, build a ladder and then right. climbed out. I mean, <laughs> this isn't sharing tips on how to get out of the pit <laughs> on your own power. I mean, he's saying God pulled him out of the pit and now he's not hiding that. He's telling people about their faithfulness right. and my, this translation I'm reading says saving power. And I think if our testimony is not so much like, well, I prayed three times on Monday and then uh, on Tuesday I got the job I wanted, but saying last week I was absolutely without hope and this week God has given me hope. I think that's the kind of testimony we need and not just tips on how to get what you want. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. The thing I was thinking earlier, um, if you want to circle this back and put it back in there, you just leave it here, um, is that, you know, if I see somebody who is only telling me what God has done whenever they get what they want, that doesn't encourage my faith. That doesn't make me think necessarily, you know, that, that actually that draws kind of can draw attention more to the person than to God. But if I see a person who is going through extreme difficulty, your wife being, being one I've, I've thought of a lot, um, but several of the people that I know who they've just gone through pain or difficulty or difficult times. And despite their difficulty, they maintain their their faith. They maintain their 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 devotion. They know, even though this is going on, I still believe that God is there and that God is going to help me, even if it's not what I wanted it to be or thought it might be or as quick as I want it to be. That's where I think we really really see faith. That's the faith that's more encouraging to me than, hey, God gave me that new job that I wanted. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the that's the hard part though, like maintaining that hope or finding where the hope comes from. But I guess it, it's not about maintaining anything; it's about praying and for mercy that He does grant us that hope. Yes, because I don't know where the hope comes other 
wise. One thought I had in general, kind of a meta thought about this psalm, is it seems a really up and down kind of thing. I don't know if it was a stylistic choice by him because he's different verses in the choral. I really wonder what the music, the original music for this would have been. These are different verses because it seems like down, up, down, up. It seems very, not schizophrenic, that's the wrong word, but really kind of manic. Yeah. Depressing. At the beginning, he's depressed, then, oh, the joys of the Lord, and then kind of a bit more melancholy, and then telling the, the assembly about the justice, and then, please don't hold back your tender mercies for trouble surround me, then please rescue me, and then the end, talking about the Lord is great again. It just seemed really up and down. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think that, first of all, I think that's how we are. I think that's one of the great things about, about David and the Psalms is that he is just, it's almost, I don't know if it's a, a uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, uh, train of thought or whatever. It's not that's stream, stream of, consciousness. of consciousness. Thank you very much. All I could think of was sound of fury. Um, the uh, um, yeah, it's in a lot of ways it is. It's it's a it's his pouring himself out, which is God. Thank you for for pulling me out of the pit and putting me on solid ground. And this is still hard, but I'm going to praise you and I'm going to talk about what you've done that's good. And man, this is really hard, but. Um, you know, I, I think that that's just being realistic. There's no, there's no answer to how this is supposed to work. Um, there's no, you push a button and you are all of a sudden, you know, healed from your, your, your pain um, necessarily. It's, it is up and down. And our, and that relationship with God, I think is, um, it's a, it's not up and down as much as a yin and yang as it's a pull that goes back and forth. I had another thought about that too, but I can't remember what it was now. Based on the, the stanza starting in verse 13, talking about the people who want to put him to shame, do, do you feel like most of his emotional trouble here was when he was being chased by Saul? That, you know, I, I spent, I, I did try to read through that and think, what, when was this? That would kind of be helpful if you knew what was going on. And that's when I thought um, that it was, it was, if I were being chased by Saul like David where it was, I would feel some of these things, I think. And I even thought about, you know, and um, when David was, and I wrote down the verses because I wanted to sound smart here, but um, 1 Samuel 24, he is in the cave and Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. I don't know how old our kids are that were, this is PG-13 or not, but anyway, he goes in to relieve himself in the cave and David cuts off the corner of his robe and in uh, 1 Samuel 26, Saul is sleeping in the, in the camp and David comes down and takes a spear and, and you know, spares his life twice and i think you know that was those were two times that i think david would have felt completely justified in taking saul's life i've been i've been anointed as the next king of israel and look god has given him that's what his friends even said god has put him here so it's your you know this is your opportunity to do it and take the throne but he didn't he in fact i think that's kind of interesting about this last section here he's not saying let me defeat my enemies he's saying let your enemies um be ashamed. Let your enemies be foiled. He's asking God to deliver him. And I think that's one of the things about David that strikes me the most is that he allows, he, he asks for God to deliver him. He doesn't try to deliver himself. And I tell you, if there's one thing I could get from this whole series on Psalms, it's that. Um, you know, I think going back to the pit thing, if being in a pit means you're there by yourself with no way to help yourself out, that's us. That is the human condition. And the more we try and, and try to get ourselves out, um, the, the, the worse it gets. And um, it's such a challenge to trust that God is going to get me out and I don't have to, I don't have to do it.
The stanza with verse 11, I think definitely brings us around where a pit can be, you know, physical pains or suffering, or it can also certainly be a, a pit of your own devising. Because when you, like in verse 12, talking about my troubles surrounding me, too many to count, my sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. That's like you're in this pit that you dug. And by all rights and all justice, you were right where you put yourself. And yet David's crying out for tender mercy, for unfailing love and faithfulness, even though he's in the pit that he dug. And if nothing else, if we are suffering because of our own fault, there's still a call to reach out to God anyway. Yeah. seems to be the God that pulls us out of pits even when we dug them. Yes, I, I think that that's exactly right. Um, you know, again, I know that I know that David, I was talking about the transactional relationship. I know that David is absolutely not saying that. I, I, I think that sometimes, and I think we think that sometimes. And that's the thing he said, even if I do a million good things, I still deserve to be in this pit. And there's nothing I can do to deserve to be out of the pit. But God, because, you know, you, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me, that God is going to, you know, he is, his, his mercy and his love is going to bring us up out of that pit where we do have hope that even if it's not in this life, even if it's not the way I want it to be or the time it's going to, that I want it to be, that there is going to be relief from this suffering. And that, Kenan, is because God is so good and because of his great power and his great um, might which, oddly enough, is the Which subject. would be a great segue to the next psalm, but before we go there, <laughs> oh, sorry, Dom. you jumped the gun. I did want to just, uh, the very last stanza, two things I, uh, oh, of yeah, 40 that I, I really uh, like about it is there's nothing in there talking about uh, being delivered from the physical consequence. Mm -hmm. It talks about being filled. It says, may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness, not may all who search for you get all the things they wanted. Right. But it's to be filled with joy, even if you're still in the in the physical pit. And you know, this is David talking about being poor and needy, who he talks about a lot, uh, even though he knows he's going to be the king. But the thing that I really like is the very last word, at least in uh, several of the translations, is "do not delay." You know, there's nothing here about you know, please God, do this, because he knows he's going to do it. He's asking God to not wait, right. which is really key. That's just like it's complete faith and yet still asking God just to do it sooner rather than later. And it's not, there's no question about whether or not God's going to do it. It's like, please don't delay. Right. And I, I love that. Just the complete faith in that word. Yep. And you know, how, how often do, well, we probably don't do it as often, at least I don't, but when there are things in the, in the world or in our lives that are just overwhelming natural, you know, natural disasters or, or school shootings or something terrible. And you just look at it and, and, and a lot of people that I that I know will say something to the effect of, you know, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's, you know, we we are ready for this to be over because this just seems like it is never going to end. But um, absolutely, that's that's, and I think that is definitely our prayer. It's not, and maybe that's your um, goes back to your thing about the learned helplessness versus asking for, um, you know, accepting your situation. You you can accept where you are and still pray for the answer. And pray for relief. Well, for good or bad, that the, there will be an end to our physical pains, no matter what. So we can be uh, completely sure of that. That may not be a lot of hope to people who don't believe in anything after this life, but for those of us who do, that's at the very least what we can look towards. And I, and I think that's where we separate ourselves, and that's where, when things are good, it it may not be that obvious to people why our faith matters. 
But when things are difficult and things are complicated and we do go through suffering and we are continuing, continuing to be able to have our feet planted on a firm foundation, we continue to be able to have a faith that God is going to make everything right in the end, if not sooner, then that's when people start to look to us for what's, what's different? What's going on? How do you have hope? How can you endure this difficult situation? And that's where, kind of what I was saying earlier, that's where we can allow God to be seen. And that's where we can praise him in the assembly. It's not when things are going our way, but when things are difficult. So, And I guess in that case, it would be important to do both and not just when things are good, because then if someone sees you and you're not handling it well, that's not a great testimony. Right. Yep. So do we want to go to Psalm 65? Since I'm, I blew the segue early. Yes. So let's make <laughs> up a segue to, is God good? Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's why, you know, we're, we had read through a lot of the different Psalms and Psalm 65 was one I had, I had marked. And really I marked it, I think, because it, it is just, it is very, very much about God's power and God's might and why God is worthy of praise, but it's not one that we usually read. So I thought that's one of the reasons I thought it was. Um, do you want to, do you want to read that for us? And then we'll, yeah, I'll read it out loud quick. So Psalm 65. What mighty praise, O God, belongs to you in Zion. We will fulfill our vows to you, for you answer our prayers. All of us must come to you. Though we are overwhelmed by our sins, you forgive them all. What joy for those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts. What festivities await us inside your holy temple. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. You take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The river of God has plenty of water. It provides a bountiful harvest of grain, for you have ordered it so. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. You soften the earth with showers and bless its abundant crops. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture, and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. What a lovely psalm. It is. Feels like a painting. Yeah. And you know, I think my just my initial reaction to it is that... Um, uh, even at the beginning, you know, iniquities prevail against me. And as you know, he, he's still aware of his own sinfulness. But then he starts talking about the great things about God. And they are all things that are so much bigger than us. They are not in our control at all. And and that kind of actually serendipitously fits well with what we just were talking about, that this God's goodness and power doesn't have anything to do with what's going on with my my job or my financial situation or anything. It's about his, the mountains, the, the trees, the rain, the, all of that stuff. It's interesting because it's, <laughs> the first couple of stanzas here talking about you will answer our prayers and you will answer our prayers with awesome deeds. Almost you could read it as going against what we were talking about in the previous right. section about trying to decouple your expectation of things changing here when you pray for it. But I don't know, maybe he's not talking about awesome deeds of, you know, fixing my problems, but really answering our prayers with nature. And maybe this kind of ties back to Job that, you know, when God's talking about nature, instead of saying, okay, well, when Job's asking, you know, where are you? 
instead of God saying, okay, here we go, let me fix your problem, he says, look at this world I made. And so that, I, that's kind of my initial impression is that what David is saying here is your awesome deeds, like you said, are so much bigger than me. And okay, so I, I'm still in this, uh, still on the run from Saul, but wow, what you made was the hillside and the river and the trees and the nature. And maybe the answer is not to fix my personal problems, but to look at how much bigger the whole world is and how small my problems actually are compared to everything going on around me. I think that's, to me, the, the first thing that sticks out to me is how small I am and how big God is. And yeah, so, so yeah, and you're maybe, maybe we'll spend some more time thinking about this this week, but you know, maybe the thing is he's more in awe that God is going to answer his prayers because he is so big and I am so small. So I don't know. I will look forward to digging into this this week. I'll tell you what, Ken, and I, we didn't talk about this at the beginning. I really enjoyed this. This has been really, really good for me. Um, at a time when there's a lot going on that I, not as much going on as there used to be, but um, a lot going on in the world. Um, Just to bring it up, since we've done every other episode, oh, yes. this is April 25th, 2020. We're in the, still in the midst of the COVID-19 quarantine or lockdown or whatever you want to call it. Yep. So, um, so yeah. And, and this, by the way, this, uh, this, this episode will probably be in the archives of the coronavirus. <laughs> When they when they do the twenty the the sixty minutes thing in the future it'll be about this. No, but yeah. Um, well, now I can't remember what I was saying. I was trying to make a joke. I think you have higher hopes for this podcast than I do. That's an optimism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that that the things that are going on around us. Um, oh yeah, that we have more time. I've enjoyed taking the time to focus on these things to really dig into the Psalms because it's it's been really good for me. So. Me too. It's been good to focus on some of these. I mean, I've read all the Psalms several times, but usually it was in the midst of a year-long Bible project. So it was every day you get to read one or two. And right. when you read, you know, five or six or 12 weeks of Psalms, it's kind of, they run together a little bit. I have to, at least they did for me. And it's been good to take these ones that are not the high, highest profile ones that are on greeting cards all the time, et cetera, and really uh, dive into them. And I've really appreciated this, especially some of the, I wouldn't say obscure, none of these are obscure, but some of the less focused on Psalms. Right. I've really appreciated that as well. Yeah, that's been good. All right, so we're. Gonna... So I'm looking forward this next week to probably spending a lot of time outside and also thinking uh, about this. Uh, thank you for doing this podcast with me. For any of you listening in podcast land, we appreciate you coming along with us on the journey. We'd love to hear from you. Please yeah. reach out. Otherwise, we will plan to come back in about a week, and we wish you grace and peace in this week. To hope that you can. Also meditate on the words of, of God through the Psalms of David and others. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you all next week.